Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Smug Buds, where me, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes, and my uh, companion here. Who who are you? William Will Hoffacker. Yes, uh, we are going to talk about things that we want to uh, indulge someone with, uh, and it's things that we feel passionately about. Um, things that might be backed up in fact, things that might be backed up in our own opinions. And each week we will take you through one subject. One of us will lead and the other one will, uh, you know, just listen and ask questions and we'll go from there. You may be wondering how Will and I know each other. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, uh, Will and I for the past 10 years have been Mm -hmm. dating our respective (laughs) partners who we met at Susquehanna University uh, as we met each other there as well. So Will and I are both uh, writers and editors and other things, and we met each other in undergrad, and we've known each other for a very long time. That's right. We've been friends for 10 years. You were one of the first friends that I made uh, in undergrad, freshman year, uh, which you can't say the same because it was your sophomore year. It was my sophomore year. So that's evidence to me that you are more special to me than I am to you. And that's just an empirical fact based on uh, undeniable temporal evidence. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I am older than you, and I I know that you really look up to me, except for the fact mm-hmm. that when we stand next to each other, I have to look up to you because of how that's tall true. you are. Yes, I am disproportionately tall when you take our relative ages into account. <laughs> and that doesn't seem fair, but no, that's just what I was blessed with. So, uh, Will, do you want to tell the people what I'm going to be telling them about our goslings? Our goslings? Oh, yes, because our, our subtitle for the oh, podcast is, okay. we'll explain yeah. everything to the geese. Yes, and they're the goslings. So does that... But we're not the geese, because we're the titular smug buds. Yeah, but the so, smug buds are maybe, but you're a goose as I explain it to you. Okay, so in addition, okay, so in addition to being the titular smug buds, we're geese, and anyone listening to this is a gosling. Yeah. So maybe someone, someday even Ryan Gosling. Yeah, or really anyone named Ryan gets to be. <laughs> Except well, one. Go- Gosling Ryan. Yeah. Gosling, comma, Ryan. Um, so this being the first episode, and hopefully, fingers crossed, the worst ever episode of the podcast, as mm-hmm. first episodes should be, uh, we are uh, giving birth to the podcast, so to speak, and so it's only fitting that I should indulge Liz in her passion for uh graphically describing giving birth yes to a human a human it was a human uh it was an assigned male human uh his name is elliot and i want to talk about this because i feel like there's a lot of uh hoot nanny surrounding uh giving birth and i feel like um 
there's a lot of misconceptions. And I had a pretty standard birth. So people have all sorts of things that happen when they give birth, and this could be wildly different, but I felt very reasonable when I gave birth. I felt very pragmatic, and I think it turned out pretty well for me. Now, that also means that I got very, very lucky, but I think that part of the reason I um, was able to have the experience I did was because I wasn't, I didn't have very many expectations. I'll tell you what I mean in a second. So here's the first thing. Um, due dates are not scientific. Do you know this, Will? I think I know this. I mean, how could they be, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So there's there's like an estimation. But like, for example, an, initially when they tell you your, your due date, it's based off of the first day of your last period. So like, that's stupid, right? Because clearly uh, my period, I was not pregnant then. So, for example, right. when I first found out that I was pregnant, my first day of my last period was December 2nd, and so they told me I was six weeks pregnant, but clearly I had not been pregnant from the second I got my period the last time. I specifically was not pregnant then because I was well, having my period. Right. Why, why would – if the due date is going to be an estimate of when the baby's coming, why would it be counted from anything but – what you think the conception date to be right so is it because I, that's just private information no, no it's not private at all uh it was christmas eve um, well, no, about I, one I o'clock meant, in the I, I morning didn't mean in gen- i didn't mean private in general i meant like between a patient and a doctor no i like, know what you meant i was just being graphic um <laughs> well, so i think it's so i think the reasoning here is that when sorry you, <laughs> did you say it was christmas Yes. Day? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Well, technically, okay. actually, I t- it was Christmas. It was technically one in the morning on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. Also a part of Christmas Eve. Because we had just gotten back from Kenny's grandmother's house. <laughs> Did you? Okay. So you just had a long trek through the woods. Yes. Through the woods of New Jersey <laughs> and Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania. Good. And Keep I said back. to Kenny, I said, Kenny, I'm ovulating. And he said, Liz, I'm very tired. And I said, <laughs> I'm ovulating. And he said, <sighs> and then, but I'm almost certain because I gave birth exactly one year later. Almost to the minute, exactly one year later, or not one year, nine months, the amount of time nine it months. takes to give birth or to, not right. to give birth, to conceive. To gestate, gestate a child. Mm, yes. But anyway, so the point being, I had a very long and still have a very long cycle. So most menstrual cycles are, they average at 28 days. That's the number they give you when you're a, a person who has periods. And so I, um, mine were lasting 35 to 41 days and still last 35 to 41 days. So because of this, my missed period was actually much uh the timing wasn't right. So, you know, it wasn't that I was six weeks along. I was like four weeks along or something. And the way that they figured this out was when you go in initially, they measure you and they make sure that your baby has a heartbeat. And when it's like, you know, the size of a sesame seed or whatever, because if it doesn't, the baby's not coming. And so I um, got my due date adjusted. So originally my due date was September 10th, and then they adjusted it to September 24th. Now my birthday September 25th 
And so I was very excited about this because I thought it would be great to have a baby born on the same day as me. Uh, There's also a lot of other great people born on September 25th. Would you like me to list them? Please. Will Smith, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Shel Silverstein, William Faulkner, um, Mark Hamill, uh... Not F. Scott Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald was born on the 24th. There's a lot. And so I was like, great. So Scientologists anyway. all. So I granted, <laughs> I had a pretty easy, right. I had a pretty easy pregnancy. Um, you know, I wasn't like throwing up every day or whatever, but I wasn't comfortable. I had to go to the chiropractor like two to three times a week. But there are people that in the week leading, sometimes three weeks before they're they're about to give birth, they're like, maybe I'll give birth today, which is stupid <laughs> because I know that these women are desperate. That's not stupid. But like, think for two seconds, please, because your baby is going to expel itself from your body when it's ready. And if it doesn't, there are doctors with actual medicine who will help you expel the baby from your body. And so this idea that people will do things like they'll be like, eat sexy food or not sexy food, <laughs> eat spicy food, have sex. I put those together. Um, I have not looked up the efficacy of raspberry leaf tea, but that is also something that people suggest. They'll say to drink raspberry leaf tea and that can um, spur contractions. And this all drives me nuts. I think it's so dumb because, you know, you, you just can't somehow magically make your baby come earlier unless you're being given drugs by a doctor who will do that. There's this all this like hoot nanny about that. So, Leading up to my due date, which was the 24th, I was um, totally fine if Elliot came early. I was totally fine if Elliot came late. I was totally fine if Elliot came on time, but I was not worried about it. So it's Friday of the 23rd. I uh, am starting to feel some weird menstrual cramping. Well, you know when you have like an upset stomach and your tummy's going like, that's what it felt like. Yes, constantly. That's what it felt like when I started getting contractions. Mm -hmm. So I was like, great. I think I'm starting to go into labor. That makes sense. You know, it's the 23rd of September. Super. I fall asleep. I wake up in the morning and I start having this tightening feeling in my uterus at about five in the morning, which feels like, what did that feel like? Just like squeeze your own arm really quick. Mm -hmm. That feeling, but on like your, like my, the bottom part of my tummy Mm-hmm. It would like squeeze in for like 20 seconds and then just let go. It was very measured. It was very um, quantifiable is the word I would say. Okay. So I was like, I sort of counted my breaths and then was like, okay, I think I'm in labor, but I'm going to sleep as long as possible. So I did. And then when I woke up, Kenny counted our contra- my contractions. They were definitely regular. And uh, Kenny said to me, you would... And I said, I would what? And he said, you would be in labor. And I said, what do you mean? It's my due date. He's like, you're always so goddamn punctual. (laughs) And he's right. I was punctual. Because, a side note, which I have not mentioned before now, Elliot's amniotic fluid had gone down. And that meant that he, they were going to induce me on Sunday night if I did not go into labor before then. So the fact that I went in, you know, 36 hours before they were going to induce me was great for me because in, being induced is, again, something that they can do. But it's it's not ideal a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I was just hoping I would spontaneously go into labor, and I did. Kenny did not want this to happen. Kenny wanted to spend the entire weekend cleaning our apartment in preparation for me giving birth. And so when he suddenly had, you know, maybe 12 hours to clean the entire apartment instead of 36, he was not pleased. Mm -hmm. So we went to the market. My contractions are going on. It's fine. I'm pretty much not feeling anything. I mean, I'm feeling things. I'm not feeling bad. I can can breathe through them. I can walk through them. Blah, blah, blah. My mom shows up. Oh, I watched the first episode of This Is Us. Have you watched (laughs) This Is Us? No, I haven't. I feel like it's not a spoiler at this point, though Mm -hmm. skip ahead about 30 seconds if you uh, plan on watching the show and know nothing about it, uh, to say that it begins with Mandy Moore's character giving birth to triplets, one of which dies. So I'm sitting on the couch crying. Kenny's sitting on the couch crying. It was a pretty normal thing for me to have done, to do something like watch something where a baby dies when I'm literally in labor. Of course. Uh, Of course. So I... I do all of this, uh, you know, it's getting later and later, and then they make you f- do something called 511. Are you familiar with 511? Have I explained no. this to you? No, I don't think so. So basically, when do you go to the hospital? You go to the hospital when you reach 511, and that means you're getting five-minute contractions, or every five minutes, you're getting a one-minute contraction for an hour, and that starts at a, that starts when you start having the contraction. So you have the contraction... The contraction lasts a minute, and then four minutes later, after the contraction ends, you start another contraction. At that Mm. point, they're regular enough and strong enough that they tell you to go to the hospital. And at this point, I was pacing every time I got a contraction. I was swearing. Um, I think I started saying cocksucker, and my mom was like, maybe just keep keep it to the fucks for now. (laughs) So I was doing all of that. Um, I called the doctor. The doctor said, come on in, and so I did. And now this is where things get exciting. Oh, boy. So I, so are you familiar with how you need to be dilated? I've heard the word. <laughs> so basically, basically you, your cervix is normally like, you know, really tiny. It's like not even a centimeter wide. And it needs to dilate to 10 centimeters to get the baby out. Hypothetically, it could be a little bit smaller, but... 10 centimeters is about the is the standard that everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. So um, leading up to this, I had been at about, I think they called me a loose centimeter dilated. So, oh, and the way they measure this, by the way, how do you think they measure this, Will? How do you think that they measure this, this thing that they talk about like it's a standard? I mean, presumably with a ruler like I would have in the third grade. <laughs> They literally just stick their fingers inside of you and, like, spread them out, and they are doctors and claim that they know that that means something. They they know by sight. Yeah, but by feel of their fingers. Oh, okay, yeah. And Because you can't really see in there at the time. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, gotcha. So they're not looking at what they're doing. They're just feeling around, and they'll say, oh, you're at a centimeter. They're maybe, like, looking you in the eyes. Yeah, Making they are. With they you. are looking at you in the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're not. They're not like peering between your legs. Like I think I in like TV they make it seem like they're like peering, and that's there's no peering. Okay. So when I got, to, I had been like a loose centimeter. I get to the hospital, they check me in, blah blah blah. I get taken to a triage room, and 
we find out two things in the triage room the first thing is that i'm three centimeters dilated which is a big jump from the last time plenty of people get to the hospital and they're still at one centimeter even if they're fully in labor so that's good i'm clearly progressing is the word they say progressing okay um the second thing is that they've put a monitor on me and a monitor on um elliot so the monitor well it's not on elliot elliot's inside of my body but There's a monitor on Elliot's heartbeat, and then there's a monitor on my contractions. And they're discovering that every time uh, I have a contraction, Elliot's heartbeat drops. Uh, This is not good. Uh, So baby's heartbeats are like between like 150 and 200. I think his was like 150. They start out really high, and they go down as they get bigger. But his was like 150 or something and 140. And every time I had a contraction, it dropped to like 45 or 50. So that's like a big drop. Right. Sound not good, right? Yeah. Uh, so they're like, okay, you know, we'll move you back, blah, blah, blah. So as I'm walking back, I'm like, ooh, I am so ready for that sweet, sweet epidural. <laughs> and the nurse is like, oh, you would like an epidural? And I said, yes. Um, so are you familiar with what an epidural does? Uh, numbs you? Yes. And the way, it, do you know how it works? No. People get epidurals for other reasons, too, for the record. Okay. So, basically, you lean forward, and your your spinal cord separates out, and then they stick a big old needle in there, and in yep. the area between your spinal cord and your spine, they uh, put a liquid, that's the epidural, and that liquid numbs the nerves in your spine, which means that it numbs um, everything below that. Okay. So, wherever they put it. Right. And so, but first you have to get a bag of liquids and then you have to, um, and then the anesthesiologist has to actually come. So they give you an IV of liquids, not just like a bag that you're holding. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I'm sitting there waiting and this was the worst part of this because if I had not had the epidural, I was, the whole time I was thinking, if this is what I had to do until I gave birth, I think I would black out. I do not know how women did this for years. And I'm going to take a bit of a side tangent here. There's an essay that I'm going to post on the um, page for this mm-hmm. episode. It's called, uh, it's an opinion piece called Get the Epidural. And it's about how, for the most part, you should get the epidural if you're pregnant. I think there are some exceptions to this. There are some people, of course, that cannot get epidurals because of health reasons. There are women who truly uh, do not want to get an epidural, and that's fine. And there's for some women for whom epidurals do not work. But And for all of those reasons, that's fine. But in general, if you're thinking about giving birth, I would highly suggest an epidural, and I think you should read this essay. Because do you know what they used to do before we had epidurals? No. <laughs> Oh, well. So before we had epidurals, we, of course, just had giving birth, which was terrible. (laughs) And women were like, this is terrible. It feels like my body's trying to rip itself in half. I hate this. Mm -hmm. And they were like, doctors, can you give me something for the pain? And they were like, no. (laughs) And so women were like, come on. And there's a whole episode that we'll also link of The Longest Shortest Time, which is a parenting podcast about Mm -hmm. this. But then this, the, in Germany, they had to develop this thing called twilight sleep. Oh, boy. And twilight sleep was they gave you this, like, cocktail of drugs where you were conscious enough that you could, like, 
push a baby out, but you wouldn't remember any of it. So these women would come back from Germany, these rich women who could go to Germany to give birth, and they'd say, oh, you know, I just went to Germany, I went to sleep, I woke up, and I had a baby, and it was great. And so women in America really, really wanted twilight sleep because they were like, giving birth is terrible there's literally nothing as painful as this that we are required to remain conscious for you doctors need to get on your game and give me something that will make this not be terrible and doctors were like fine we'll do twilight sleep twilight sleep was not good yeah with a name Um, like that (laughs) i know right and, and sorry if i'm making you repeat yourself but what era are we talking about so for example, it's so like the mid uh, 20th century. So for example, okay. Kenny, Kenny's grandmother, who had seven children, yeah. uh, the only one that she didn't have twilight sleep for was Kenny's mom. And it was not because twilight sleep was out of vogue at that point. She had uh, two more children after her. It was because she waited until her husband got home to go to the hospital and ended up giving birth in the hallway huh. of the hospital, not of her house. Okay. Huh. So this is recent, like fairly recent. Yeah, um, right. I, I was, the, the, you know, what made me think to ask that question was when you said that women had the experience of going to sleep and when they woke up, they had a baby. It made me think of an episode of Mad Men. Have yes, you watched I Mad think that Men? I have not. Kenny has. Uh, my husband's name is Kenny. Uh, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. And uh I think you're right. I think it happens in there. There's also an episode of The Crown that it happens in, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, you know what? I might be thinking of The Crown and not Mad Men. Or maybe mm. it's both. I w- I, you know, I'm glad you said that because I think I was trying to remember where I'd seen that on TV. And it was The Crown, but maybe it was also Mad Men, but it was definitely The Crown. Yes, yes. So, yes, that that was what we had before. And um, now we have epidurals. And here's what's great about epidurals. Quickly. One, Mm -hmm. you don't feel anything. So, yeah, later when your vagina has had a car crash in it, you'll feel that. But as it's happening, you will not feel the car crash happening. Uh, Two, uh, you it doesn't affect the baby. It -hmm. doesn't hurt the baby. So that's Mm -hmm. great because, you know, taking a like you know taking a cocktail of like alcohol and you know morphine or something probably is gonna not be great for the baby right and three you're totally conscious so it doesn't mm. do anything to your brain oh, which right. yeah. i hate the idea of being groggy i think you mm. know that i do not like being sleep sleepy i will just go to sleep <laughs> <laughs> yep. and so i was totally clear-minded and that was really important to me mm-hmm. so i go in there i get the epidural and right before I get the epidural, I say to Kenny, I wasn't scared of this until right now. And he <laughs> said, well, it's almost over. And I said, great. <laughs> so they give me the epidural and almost immediately it's like, everything is fine. I feel so calm. I am just like living my life. There's one small patch that I can still feel a little bit of pressure in, but it's nothing like it was before. Mm-hmm. I am like, this is great. This is super. And I do just want to reiterate one more time that there are some women that this doesn't work for. Right. Um, and there are some women that can't get this. I totally understand that. Uh, but for the majority of women who can get these, I think it's great. So I'm hanging out. My mom comes. My mom was with us. Mm-hmm. So she came back into the room after I got the epidural and she was pissed. She's like, because I'm just talking to her normally and she's like can you 
can you really not feel anything right now? I was like, no, man, epidurals are great. And she was like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? I'm like, what? What do you want? She goes, I gave birth to both of you without anything. And it hurt because with me, when she'd given birth to me, um, she'd gotten there and been like, oh, like some pain medication. And they were like, well, we can give you some ibuprofen. <laughs> not good and then with my brother she said as soon as she got there she was like i would like some drugs and they gave her this uh drug that basically takes the edge off of the pain and this does make you groggy but it's not it's not like an epidural at all so she's like furious she then proceeds to take a nap it's by the way like 10 o'clock now at night so she proceeds to take a nap which i think i was like i can't believe you're sleeping i know it's been a long day but like I am about to let you be witness to the miracle of life that your your daughter has created a human child inside of her own body and I'm going to let you be there for when it happens and you are taking a nap. <laughs> so I went into this process thinking that I would be in the hospital for 18 hours before I gave birth. I don't know why I picked that number, but I did. I picked 18 hours. I said, this is how long it will take. Uh, that's how long it seemed to have taken a lot of my friends. It's not an unreasonably long amount of time, but it's not a particularly short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I had done things like drank a gallon of water for the three days leading up to and including the day I was in labor because I know that once you go into labor, they basically don't let you eat anything. And so I wanted to make sure I was hydrated. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I just thought that I would be, you know, up all night. I was very ready. They came in at about uh, 10 o'clock or 1030, maybe 1045 and measured me. And I was seven centimeters dilated. So in two hours, I have gone from three to seven. Kenny is not pleased. <laughs> Kenny has spent the whole day cleaning the house in 12 hours, which he did not want to do. He thought he had 36. And yeah. now, every time he gets used to something, it changes. Now, <laughs> granted, Kenny's not the one giving birth here. So Kenny right. knows that he can't complain. Yeah. But Kenny is not pleased at how quickly things are moving because he is surprised and does not know how to deal with them. Kenny likes right. to think about things. Yeah. So then they decide to break my water. My water had not broken yet. Okay. Do you know how they do this? No, I was going to ask you when, the, it, 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 w- yeah, w- on TV, the water breaks, and then you're in labor. So 20% of the time in real life, uh, your water breaks to start your labor, and the other 80% of the time, it happens only when you're actually already in labor. What? <laughs> I know, right? It's way more dramatic, though, isn't it? Well, of course. Yes, and and the the irony here is that I say these numbers and I, I know that these are the numbers. It's like one in five labors start with your water breaking. So women women will have no contractions and then their water will break and then they'll start their contractions. And mm. for the record, that's also um, kind of a crazy way for it to happen because the idea is that you're not having any contractions at all. And then once your water breaks, you're on a timer, basically. Doctors do mm. not want to keep that baby in you after the after your water breaks for more than 24 hours, basically. Mm. Um, if you're in labor before your water breaks, a lot of the times they don't want to break your water until you're very close to closer to giving birth because, you know, again, once you've done that, you're on a timer. Um, mm. It does sort of, it can for some people speed things up. So when I was at seven centimeters, I moved to, 10 centimeters very quickly um and that was partially because they broke my water 
Mm-hmm. And hypothetically, it would have broken on its own at some point, but I was not opposed to them breaking my water at this point. So things seemed to be going well. Okay. My only expectation, by the way, in giving birth was that I knew I wanted an epidural. Mm-hmm. I didn't want aromatherapy. That's something. I didn't want to be in a bath. I didn't want to be able to pace the halls. I just wanted... Uh, once I could not handle the pain anymore or shortly before I wanted an epidural, which was exactly when I got one mm-hmm. and which thank God I got one when I did, by the way, because there gets to be a point where you're about to give birth and they will not give you an epidural because you're about to give birth. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had waited any longer, I might have missed my opportunity. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to hear how they break your water? Yes. So they take a crochet hook. It looks like a cro- – it's not a crochet hook. <laughs> but they take something that looks like a crochet hook, and it's got uh, a bit of a pointier hook on the end. Yeah. And they just stick it in you and go, boop. Uh-huh. And then it goes, blah, blah. <laughs> Okay. So what, so what are they doing by doing that? So basically, you know, your baby's in this sack of amniotic fluid. Okay. And the sac is your placenta. And when they break your water, they're breaking the placenta so that the amniotic fluid comes out. Okay. And that the means sa- that... The sac is the placenta. Yes. And the contents are amniotic fluid. Yes. Okay. I think I'm following. Yes. And when they do this, so all this time that all these things are happening, your body's basically releasing hormones and these hormones and, and other chemicals and stuff like that. And that's creating your body to have a response that gets you ready to give birth so like for example um oxytocin is the chemical that uh makes you have contractions Mm -hmm. the synthesized version of that is called pitocin and so if i had not been having contractions but my water had broken i would have gotten pitocin to start that happening Mm um so getting your water broken can release some more of those chemicals that then move you closer to giving birth. Okay. So you don't want to do that too early, but you also don't want to do it like, you know, it hypothetically can happen on its own, but it can also help in between. Oh, which as a note, I'm the only person, um, I'm the only person I know that has recently gone into labor normally and didn't start labor with their water being broken or with being induced. Hmm. So this was really annoying for me because when I was pregnant, I would be like, you know, again, it's 20% of women have their water break. And I think I knew three different women who had given birth within the past three years. And all of them were like, oh, yeah, my water broke. What? That's not statistically sound. Right. <laughs> I just had a bad sample size. So um, and then I, I knew a couple of other friends. Like I had one friend whose baby was breech. Um, do you know what that means? Uh, upside down or right yeah. side up. Yeah, feet feet up first. Feet, feet would be feet. coming out first. Right, feet first. And, you know, when your baby's breached, they try to turn it and they do all this stuff and there's a lot of other hoot nanny that goes along with that. <laughs> but um, the problem with a baby being breached is that if your – is that is the head. Mm-hmm. This it's this is I thought in my mind I just imagined oh you don't want your baby's nose to be bent up but that's not the problem. <laughs> the problem is that the baby's head is the biggest part of their body. Yeah. And so you can give birth to a whole baby except the head and if the head doesn't fit you're still going to have to have a C-section and it's a big problem at that point. Uh-huh. Because at that point you're like in the middle of everything. Right. And so if your if your baby's breech and they can't get your baby to flip over, you're going to have a C-section because it's not safe otherwise. Right. 
And it could be fine. You hypothetically could give birth to a breech baby and it just could slither but, its way out. But it's but not ideal. But in order ideal. to eliminate that risk, you get a C-section preemptively. Yes. They okay. in, they induce you. Well, they don't even induce you. They You just go in. They give you an epidural. They cut you open. They pick the baby up and they take the baby out. Yeah. Super. Great way to give birth if you need to. Sure. So... Uh, they break my water. It like gushes out everywhere. Um, this is fine. I have no problem with this. I think my mom saw more of my naked body than she like ever wanted to see past me being a child and was like, just like, I think she was like, I know Liz is not embarrassed, but I do not want to be seen. (laughs) So like we see all of that. And then, and then, you know, I think it was not even an hour later that I was at 10 centimeters. And I think it was 11.30, 11.45, and I said to the nurse, I said, um, am I going to be giving birth in the next 15 minutes? And she was like, oh, no, the doctor's not even here yet. And I just started laughing. I, yeah. I want to say, too, I had been giggling this whole time because, right. again, I have an epidural, so I'm not in pain anymore. Right. I start laughing, and Kenny puts his hands on his head again, and yeah. he just says, you're going to be so goddamn smug about this for the rest <laughs> of your life, aren't yeah. you? And you're I just laughed. You're going to be such laughed. a smug bud. Yes, because I was going to give birth on my birthday. Yeah. There was no way at this point that I was – there was no way I was going to not give birth on my birthday because right. it was 1145 on the 24th, mm-hmm. and I was at 10 centimeters, and there was just no way in hell that they were going to let me push for 24 hours after two or three hours they were going to give me a c-section if i didn't get the baby out so i was like yeah yeah Uh, it was it was thrilling so do you have (laughs) any any questions uh, about this leading up to the fact that i uh was about to start pushing huh um i feel like i had a thousand questions while you were talking (laughs) (laughs) and uh I, I well, I haven't been writing them down is the problem. Oh well, there you go. Well, I'll keep. T- I'll start to tell you about yeah. pushing. So with pushing, there's like a part of. I kept describing it as it dropping down, and Kenny kept saying, "No, that's not what it was." But I couldn't see it. But basically, they rearranged the end of the hospital bed so that my butt sort of scooted over the edge of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. That that leads into a, a question that I just remembered. I have had yes. in my mind, which is that the. The whole time, while since you've been in the hospital in this story, you've been like on your back in a bed. Yes, like I've on seen my on back TV. in a bed, right? Like you've seen in TV. And um, hypothetically, and and this is something that you know is a disadvantage of an epidural. It's easier to push your baby out if you're squatting, right? Um, but it's also you're in a lot of pain, <laughs> right? Okay, so uh, yeah, it's because I've I've heard a little bit of the debate about this yeah that you're on what what i think i've heard is you're on your back with your legs in the stirrups or whatever Mm -hmm. they didn't have stirrups but yeah okay because because so that so that the doctor and or the nurse can have the best view but that's not best for you yes because you're fighting gravity and if you're standing up and squatting gravity would be helping you you would have an easier time but what you're telling me, I think, which I haven't considered, is that if you have if you get an epidural for the pain, you wouldn't be able to stand. 
and squat. Because your legs are totally numb. Right. You can't feel them. Yeah, you, you have can't no feeling, move them. You have no power to do anything but lie on your back. Yes. Or your stomach, um, I guess. But why? Would you? <laughs> not when you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah. No. And also, um, the other thing is that you know I was. Um, I was just so big that even though I could move the upper half of my body, it's not like I could see over my tummy even. Mm-hmm. I can relate so, to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I had, um, so I was ready to push and I knew that I wanted a mirror mm. so that I could see myself because again, could not even see over my tummy. Mm-hmm. And this is why I had been told by a dear friend, a secret a secret that I have told every other woman since I've known that has been pregnant. Yes. Are you ready for the secret? I want to know the secret. The pushing muscles are the pooping muscles. Ah. So, in fact, when you are a child and you imagine them being the same, mm-hmm. they are. Yep. And they're maybe not exactly, exactly the same, but they're mm-hmm. close enough. Right. And... So what I had done ahead of time was I knew I was going to na- get an epidural. And this is another disadvantage of an epidural, which is that you can't feel what you're doing mm-hmm. because it's numb. And right. so you're sort of working off of muscle memory. And this can trip women up, right? Oh, that's so weird. I never even thought about that. Yeah. You can't feel what you're doing. So you're, they're telling you to push and you're like, well, I this is what I think I'm doing. But you don't know because you don't have any response. Yeah. So I had a plan and this plan worked. And so this is what I'm, I mean, it might not have, you know what I mean? Like I could have guessed wrong, but this was my plan. So I got a mirror so I could see. Mm. Well, they couldn't find the mirror at first, which I'll get to why that was fine in a second. But um, my plan was to watch what was happening because if I could see, I knew I had practiced. So every time I had gone to the bathroom leading up to this for like the month, I thought about which muscles I was using, which muscles I was activating, they say in yoga. I'd been doing a lot of yoga. Uh And I was like, okay, these are the muscles I have to squeeze to get things to come out of my body. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like ready. I was ready to get things out of my body. And then I thought if I can see what's happening, I'll know what's effective. And that Mm -hmm. is what happened. So they couldn't find the mirror at first. And it was stupid why. I'll tell you in a second. So the first time I pushed... uh, I did poop. That is what happens. Uh-huh. And the other thing is when you're pushing, you're pushing at the same time you're having a contraction. So you're working with the contraction. So the contraction is squeezing. You're squeezing. Everything is squeezing. The baby starts to come out. Super. So, but that also means that you poop. And so Kenny said that, Kenny was amazed at this. And and I mean this he I, in the least gross way. You know, they had this sort of, um, you know, one of those an absorbent, disposable something or other mm-hmm. underneath me and yep. he said that i pushed the first time i pooped the doctor the nurse took it moved it away and got rid of it so quick he was like she was unfazed she was ready and she just <laughs> did it and i was like oh my god <laughs> so elliot was so close oh so here's the other note elliot had a full head of hair when he was born do you mm. remember this yes did i tell you that we saw the hair on the ultrasound you might have said that. You might so, have mentioned. On the one of the ultrasounds, um, his hair was like half an inch long. And she was like, oh, there's his hair. And we were like, what? That's an option? <laughs> <laughs> we were like, that's an option of something you can see? So, you know, I'm Kenny can see his like this like um, 
well, you know, vagina shaped hole of shape of hair um, inside of me that's like right at the edge. So I'm like definitely ready to give birth. So every contraction I had, I would breathe in um, and then push for 10 seconds while I'm holding my breath and then let it out and breathe in and push for 10 seconds. And the nurse had one leg held up by my shoulder and Kenny had the other leg. Super. So I did this um, once or twice. Um, I Or no, I guess I did this for like 15 minutes, let's say, 20 minutes. And the, my contractions were coming. The, here's the other thing. I knew when my contractions were happening because I was hooked up to this monitor. And also, again, every time I'm having a contraction, Elliot's heart is going way down. And all of these mm. alarms are going off. So it's like right. beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, oh, whatever. I'm sure somebody will tell me if this is a problem. Whereas Kenny is secretly freaking out and not uh, saying anything to me because yeah. he doesn't want to freak me out. Right. And I don't know this to be true for a fact, but I think if I was not progressing as quickly as I would, that they would have recommended me getting a C-section pretty soon. Mm. Because it was like, you know, you don't want your baby's heart to stop. That's not right. good. Right. And you don't also don't want your baby to be in distress is the other thing. Because what can happen when you're in labor for a long time is that your baby can go into distress and then that's a whole issue too. So um, I'm pushing. Uh, it's going pretty well. They Oh, the mirror. So it was good that I was not that I did not have the mirror for the first push. I did not have to see myself poop. Right. Super. The mirror was just like in the corner of the room we were in. Yeah. They thought it was in another room. So they were like looking all over. Okay. <laughs> it all was right, right there. S- sorry. One second while I clear my throat. Okay. <coughs> I call that the Elena Passarello special. <laughs> Look it up. Um, okay. So has it occurred to you that maybe they withheld the mirror on purpose? Because Possibly. they knew that you would void your bowels. And then after you did, they put the mirror where you wanted it? So I don't think so because I I at some point said, they were like, I'm sorry, we can't find the mirror. And I said, is that a mirror that we can use? And they said, oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish that they were like protecting me from myself. Okay. No, I do not believe that was what was happening. So because you found the mirror <laughs> yes they brought it over and it's like it's like a mirror it's like um almost like a standing mirror that's on like a like a hinge so that you can turn mm-hmm. it at the right angle so now when i'm pushing i can see elliot's head sort of like briefly sort of push forward a little bit and then mm-hmm. get smaller not the head mm-hmm. but like this like opening that this head is coming through yeah and then the nurse shows up and i think i pushed once when the nurse wore for one set of contractions when the nurse was there and then um, for the second one, maybe the third, but I think it was the second one, I breathed in, I pushed, and his head just went, pop. Mm. And I was like, oh. And I just went, oh. And then his body slithered out, went, like a little snake. And I went, oh. And Kenny looked at me and went, oh. And my mom looked at me, and she looked like she was like about to fall asleep. And so they put Elliot on my chest, which is like important. And he was going like, wah, wah, which hilariously, tiny babies go wah, wah. <laughs> it's like a real sound that they make. Some, um, and I remember thinking, this is a cliche. <laughs> yeah, some stereotypes are true. 
And I said, hi, Elliot. And Kenny said, hi, Elliot. And uh, I touched his little head and it was like really warm. And I remember thinking, being surprised at how warm his he was because he's mm. like all wet from his like goop or whatever. Right. But I think in my mind, I just imagined like, you know, when you get out of the shower and you're wet. And even mm. though it's a warm shower, your skin's suddenly very cool. Right. I think I imagined that he would be cool all of a sudden not like cold but just like right. he was so warm and slick mm-hmm. and gross but like just going Wah. and then they uh i had to give birth to the placenta after this oh. oh wait sorry let me skip ahead so kenny cut the cord which he had to do two snips because he was like that thing's tough <laughs> so they they let it sort of like pulsate once or twice after you give birth to get the last kind of bits of blood in there and then they clamp it and then kenny took these little shears and went snip snip uh, and cut it. That's weird to me. <laughs> Why? What about it? I mean... D- I certainly wasn't going to do it. Sure, but but why Why the father? Why the father? Why the, the other person in the room? Good I'm sorry. I was, yeah, very heteronormative of me. I apologize. It's bit Well, and you don't have to apologize because I am, in fact, in a heterosexual relationship. <laughs> yes, yes. I, but I was, <laughs> but, I was sort of generalizing when you said that Kenny did it. I thought, I thought, oh, this is a is, tradition. Yes, so and it I is a tradition that to the tradition. I, as much so as I Kenny. think that even if we're looking at it from a heteronormative perspective, because that is oftentimes what has happened with these things mm-hmm. for a long time. And this was in Mad Men, because I did watch this episode. For a long time, the men were not in the room when you gave birth. Right. They were like, I think in the episode of Mad Men I saw, it was like the dad from Clarissa Explains It All was like, (laughs) he was like, why are you even here? I I went to a baseball game when my wife gave birth, which is fucking horrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, what a disconnect. Um, And so the idea is that um, clearly, I have done the brunt of the labor in giving birth to this child. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways, a sort of significant way that a partner, a man specifically, mm-hmm. could feel a, um intimate connection and an involvement with their mm-hmm. newborn child and mm-hmm. to not feel totally disconnected from the process mm-hmm. is to be able to, you know, do the child's first small medical procedure. Okay. And so uh, it's it's definitely like um, clearly it's not something you can fuck up easily because otherwise right. they would not let right. shaking adrenaline filled partners yeah. cut these cords. Right. But um, it is largely symbolic, but it is something that has to happen. So right. right. This is I think why they've passed it over. Yeah. This is all making perfect sense to me the way that you're explaining it there's just something (laughs) about hearing it initially that just makes me i don't know maybe i'm just resistant to like any tradition that seems like i don't know tradition for tradition's sake yeah i can see how it might be counteracting the the patriarchy by yeah uh, or at least, or at least, at some point, what was expected of men during a birth? Right. Yes. The the old long-standing patriarchy by by setting a precedent that the man is involved in the life of the child. Uh, can see from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah. And yet, when I just heard about 
the fact that it happened rather than any explanation why it just I don't know seemed backwards to me somehow I don't know my own, right right my own bringing my own shit to it <laughs> well I mean I think it's important too to ask questions about these things like why are we doing these things and mm. what what value do they have right um but yeah so he did that and then uh, I had to give birth to the placenta, which basically yes. at that point. So this can be another place where there's a problem because sometimes women's placentas stick to the inside of their uteruses. Yeah. Not great. Mine slid right on out, baby. Oh, boy. I just went, ooh, and it came. <laughs> um, and I asked to see it. And this this ended up being the first of a long-standing tradition of everything with Elliot being small. Um, so Elliot was small. He was 5 pounds, 15 ounces when he was born. Mm-hmm. And this was, as we learned later, because he had a hole in his heart, which they right. fixed when he was eight months old with surgery. Yes. Uh, spoiler, he's fine. Right. Uh, I, I honestly, like, you saying that, like, I he's, I've just gotten so used to him being fine that I, yeah. I I was like, oh, yeah, like I, I had forgotten about that whole ordeal until you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Where his like heart was stopped for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he had open heart surgery. <laughs> cool way to start your life. Yeah. Cool way. He won't remember it. He's fine. Right. Though now, though now we'll say, Elliot, where's your scar? And he'll touch his chest and go, uh, scar. Yeah. Um, which is nice. Um, but so... His placenta was also very small. Have you ever looked at a picture of a placenta, Will? I don't think so. You why you haven't? I'm so surprised by this. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. But most of the placentas I had seen, they they're very round. Like they sort of are flat and round because they used to hold something and now they don't. And um, they usually are about the size of a dinner plate. And mm. mine was the size of like a dessert plate. Yeah. And later I got this sort of like you know these exit papers from the hospital and it said that my placenta was actually in the like one per- first percentile mm-hmm. for size so it right. was an incredibly small pl- placenta mm-hmm. um much like elliot was incredibly small right um and he and, and elliot also as a note was not the smallest baby to be born uh he was not the smallest baby to be born at term though he was at term mm-hmm. um but he wasn't large by any standard right. um in the next six to eight weeks i knew two more babies that were born um uh our friend joe's baby and my friend katie's baby and they were both uh significantly um bigger than elliot was and elliot was six weeks older than they were right uh and they both at each each time they were born you know when each one was born they were over a pound heavier than elliot at birth um than elliot was that day of being alive yeah and, and just for reference, the like healthy average at birth is what? Like seven, like I think anywhere between like six and a half to eight and a half pounds is mm-hmm. like a normal sized baby that isn't huge, but also like isn't um, like isn't like, oh, that's a big baby, but also right. isn't like, oh, that's a tiny baby. Yeah. Um, you know, anything between, you know, the seven to eight pound range, I think is pretty yeah. regular sized. And when you were born, you were? When I was born, I was six pounds, um, four ounces. Mm-hmm. And, now, um, and now you ask me. How old were, how big were you when you were born? How well? old was I when I was born? <laughs> <laughs> I was born. Yeah, how old were you? A five-year-old. 
Uh, I was nine <laughs> pounds, so tall. nine ounces at birth. Nine pounds, five ounces? Nine. Nine, nine. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. How was that? <laughs> for me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it was for anyone. Oh, my God. Couldn't yeah. Been good. <laughs> yeah, Elliot didn't weigh nine pounds, nine ounces until he was almost three months old, for comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... So, yeah, so I gave birth to, birth to placenta, and then they have to sew you up because, again, there has been a car crash in my vagina. Yep. Um, and what that meant is that I had two paraurethral tears. So those were little tears near my urethra um, that she did put a little stitch in so I didn't have to feel any burning when I peed. And then I had a second-degree perineal tear. So this is a tear, tear that goes from the base of my vagina towards my uh, anus. Uh-huh. And second degree means that – so first degree is just skin. Second degree is some skin and muscle. Oof. Third degree would be a lot of skin and muscle. And fourth yeah. degree means it's just ripped the whole way down. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no – yeah. Uh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it's terrible. It's the Ooh. worst. You're making these terrible faces. Everyone will is like, looks like he wants to like just stop this conversation. He doesn't know why he ever started this podcast with me right now. It's lunchtime as we're you, recording this and I don't <laughs> need to eat anymore. <laughs> yes. And let me tell you, that is the way it feels too. <sighs> I was on Percocet for three weeks after I gave birth. Yes, but poor me having to listen to this explanation. <laughs> But I still could not feel anything from the epidural. So mm. she sewed me right up. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, the only other, I think, fun birth, birth related part um, of this was mm. that, um, again, I had drinking, drunk, drank. Yeah. Yeah. I had had mm-hmm. a gallon of water that day. Or no, I take that back. The two previous days I had had a gallon of water. Mm. That day I had had 100 ounces about. I okay. was counting. And so after you give birth, everything gets so sort of smushed down there. You can't really feel it. Mm. Um, it's sort of like when you pinch your finger in a door and you can't really feel your finger for a little bit. Yeah. Um, except it's your urethra. And so <laughs> they gave me a catheter and um, she had it like like draining into this like – it looked like a square pe- like one liter Tupperware container. <laughs> So I'm like sitting there and I can sort of see it, but mostly I'm looking at this tiny baby and they were like weighing the tiny baby and Elliot, Kenny was like, you know, hovering around the tiny baby and I was like, I fucking did it, man. Yeah. I'm a queen. I pushed that baby out in 30 minutes. I'm best. I gave birth on my birthday. Uh, I'm, I'm great. 1248 a.m., which uh-huh. is which is also where that timing come back comes back in. Right. So I um, was ovulating on Christmas Eve slash Christmas mm-hmm. and I know I had sex at about one in the morning on Christmas mm, day. Wow. And I gave birth at 1248 on September 25th. So literally nine months later. Yeah. Okay, almost that, to the minute. That reminds me of another question I had when you said nine months later. What, isn't, isn't that a myth? Or there's some kind of myth to the, to the way that things are measured. I, I remember you telling yeah. me. Is it, is it, is it a, to do with trimesters or? Yes. So, yes, I know what you're talking about. So, yes, time is a construct that is false. That is the first thing you have to realize. (laughs) Yes. We've all seen True Detective Season 1. Because how long is a month, Will? Uh, 28 to 31 days. Exactly. So that's a problem, right? Right. Because now when you're trying to measure things, um, you know, you're measuring something in trimesters, but, um, you know, it's also nine months, but also it's, you know – 
for, uh, 40 weeks, but that doesn't really translate to three. And so right. like you can't really divide that number by thir- into three evenly. And so, yes, in the sense that it was nine months exactly is already sort of a lie because I had a February in there. It wasn't a leap year. It could have been a leap year. Um, Or wait, no, it was a leap year because it was an election year. So it was a leap year. It it was a, uh, I had an extra day in there. So yes, due dates are sort of made up, you know, a week more, more or so later is fine. You don't want to go too far. You don't want to go more than a week past what they uh, have your due date estimated as because right. at that point they found that the placenta starts deteriorating mm-hmm. not great yeah um but yeah they're all sort of made up numbers as long mm-hmm. as your baby's measuring at a healthy size and you get past a certain point you're probably fine um, so so am i understanding correctly that like nine months is the accepted standard but also doctors tell you that it's it'll be 40 weeks Mm-hmm. And and you're like, well, how does that work? <laughs> exactly. If it's yes. both forty weeks and well, and then months. you have <laughs> then you have these pregnancy apps that are like sometimes will tell you you're in different places depending on, um, like what app you're using because mm-hmm. they're they're cutting it up. They're cutting up like the trimesters differently, right? Um, and then also on top of all of this, hypothetically, you know. You you are some people would say that you're nine months pregnant uh, the day you give birth, right? Because that's the ninth month that you're pregnant. But I was referring to my last month of pregnancy as my ninth month because I was in the ninth month of my pregnancy. Right. So even just counting is difficult. In oh general. yeah, cardinal versus <laughs> ordinal numbers. Don't even get me started. That's a future oh, no. episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so I have this catheter in and it's filling up this container and all of a sudden the nurse starts going, oh no, oh no, oh no, because she is afraid that it is going to overflow, which she said she has never seen before. <laughs> you drank the most water of I was any the most patient. hydrated. <laughs> no, I didn't. It did not overflow. They took that away. But later, a few hours later at like six in the morning, they tell you, you know, get up to go pee every two and a half to three hours because, again, you can't feel it. So you won't remember and it can be a problem. Right. You just want to pee every so often, as I think yeah. we know as people who live in the world. That's right. And so <laughs> that's right. <so> <laughs> <laughs> that's that's called the Paul of Tompkins special. When you say <laughs> that's right on a podcast. That's right. Oh, uh, Paul, my friend, Paul. We're who our our dear friend Paul. Friend Maybe even more guilty of it is Lennon Parham. Oh yeah. Listen to Womp It Up and uh she's always saying, That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I went to go pee, my epidural had worn off, and uh I sit down and there's a hat. Are you familiar with a hat in the hospital? Uh no. Well, let me tell you, it's not for your head, babe. It <laughs> is like an upside-down top hat that sits in the lid of the toilet, and it measures how much you've peed to make sure that you are hydrated. Uh. And it also is making sure that you're peeing. So, like, if you're not, because hypothetically something could happen where, like, your urinary tract is blocked or you're not peeing very much and they need you to pee more. And this is a an indi- this is one of those sort of things that could be a symptom of many other problems that they this is why they have this there. So, so they have said to me, when I pee into the hat and fill it up twice, <laughs> they will remove the hat, and then I will uh, just get to pee like a normal woman. Uh-huh. 
I peed for, I'm not kidding, two full minutes. Yeah. And the hat filled and overflowed mm-hmm. and continued to overflow. And I was like the Austin Powers movie, the first Austin <laughs> Powers movie. <laughs> I remember. And I said to the nurse as I'm peeing, well, this is just starting to get funny, isn't it? She did not think it was funny. No. <laughs> I was like, come on. They rarely like do. Two, <laughs> two minutes I'm peeing. Yeah. Um, and so that that I think is the the major story of how I the major parts of how I gave birth and all of its graphic nature. Just quick follow up question: It's called the hat simply because it looks like a hat. I think so. Yeah, they've always just referred to it as a hat. When I had MRSA, when I was I had MRSA when I was uh, eighteen years old, and, and at the end of February, congratulations, my year of high school. It was great. It was better than the sinus infection I had a month later, um, which I said to my mother, and she said, "Elizabeth, you were hospitalized." And I said, "I stand by my statement." <laughs> uh, yes, they called it a hat when I was eighteen. They called it a hat when I was twenty-eight. Ten years later, yeah. um, and I think yes, it is because it looks like a hat. Uh, when you asked me if I was familiar with the hat in the hospital, I thought <laughs> that must stand for something. She's going to say <laughs> hydraulic amniotic transfer or something. <laughs> no. no, it's just a hat looking thing that you pee into. Yes. Like a drunk. It's just like a drunk. Like a common drunk. A common, a common just having given birth drunk. <laughs> Oh, I will tell you one more very graphic thing that I know you don't want to hear. Please. But this is the point of this podcast. If you have to listen to the things I'm telling you about certain things. It's a and I'll have to fire. listen next week. So <laughs> the other thing I will say is I took pictures of my vulva before and after I gave birth mm-hmm. because I knew that it was going to be a car crash. I can just see you mm-hmm. like deciding the way you're going to position your body as I tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> my legs are crossed. My hands are, my fingers are intertwined. So before I gave birth, it was just sort of, it just sort of looked like a line. Like it was just there uh, in its normal state without me altering it. It was pretty much closed. I could, you know, you know, fit whatever tampon or fingers or penises I wanted to. It was fairly easy. Um, afterwards now, if I look at it, I can like see into my vagina. Like, yeah. so it really does change the shape of your body is the other thing. Right. So for, for like... Not just right after, but in perpetuity afterwards, Yes, you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I can see in probably like a half inch to an inch now, which I couldn't before, um, yeah. just by looking, by peering, as we were discussing earlier. <laughs> yes. Um, which I think is fascinating because, you know, it re- you know g- giving birth really does radically change your body and there's just only so much that you can do. And then, you know, this is where things like um, – you know, the husband stitch situation, which, you know, of course, Carmen Maria Mikado yes. wrote about. Do, do you know, and you don't know, so I don't know why I start that way, but little did you know that uh, I just finished reading that book. Oh, isn't it so good? It's excellent. And I had never heard of the husband stitch before. So weird. Do you want to do you want to give our, our readers a, a description of the husband stitch since you just read that book? I can only tell you what I gleaned from the story that is called The Husband Stitch, even though... The story is not really about The Husband Stitch in, in and of story, itself. In the story, no one says The Husband Stitch, but yeah. there's a conversation that the main character overhears when she's just given birth that you can 
connect the dots if you look at the title of the story the doctor is saying to her husband uh they're they're having this conversation they seem to be joking with each other mm-hmm. about like you know you, you know there is is that is the extra stitch real like you know does it wink wink haha i can sew her up nice and tight for you or whatever i don't remember what they say to each other exactly but yeah, it's horrifying it's they just say horrifying. just enough that you get the content of what they're saying and 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 uh, it's nauseating because they think that the main character is like passed out and can't hear them. Yeah. And really, she's just kind of in and out of consciousness. And uh, I can see why that book has been optioned to be an FX TV series because <laughs> that's going to translate real well, I think. Yeah, yeah. That story uh, specifically, really, really, just like I read it right before I was about to sleep. I finished it right before I was about to fall asleep and could not sleep afterwards. It's so, um, it's so horrifying and it's partially so horrifying because of how incredibly subtle it is. Um, but yes, the idea that when you have given birth and you're being sewn up, you're sewn up a little bit tighter. You get an extra stitch for the pleasure of one's husband. (laughs) (laughs) Barf. Uh, I don't read before bed. I read uh, on my lunch break at work. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like you could do a little BuzzFeed-style personality test uh, on the two of us by just uh-huh. by asking the question, what story from that particular book are you going to remember uh, long afterwards? And for you, it sounds like it would be that story. And for me, it would be the 60-page uh, long oh. Law & Order SVU story. That story also, I started reading that Law & Order story and was like, so it's it's a 60-page story and there are small vignettes yes. um, that build and each vignette is an episode, is titled after an episode right. of Law & Order SVU and it goes through every episode of every season to a point. I don't know where it there cuts off because I think the show is still going. Seasons, I think, covered in the story. Yeah. It's, and it's 60, I cannot emphasize enough, it is 60 pages long. And I remember starting to read this and thinking, oh, well, this is weird. And then I got further in and I was like, oh, this is long. And then I was just like in it. I was in it and I came out and I felt a lot of things about it. I was blown away by it. I uh, I'll probably never forget it. <laughs> yeah. But that's like, that's a, a lot to do with me, I think, as the reader. Um, not to take anything away from her as the author, because the book is incredible. But I have a fixation on a kind of... Uh, popular media to literature ekphrasis yeah so yeah the the just as a concept and then also the execution of the concept it it was made uh to appeal to my sensibilities yeah yeah that makes sense and also uh there's a recurring uh sound uh in that story the main characters uh keep oh the bump bump yes and I it must... took me a while to figure out what that was, too. Okay, that's the reason I brought it up. <laughs> I must have been on page 50 out of 60-some before my brain read 
the words dum dum as the law and order sound and i went oh and i felt so <laughs> stupid <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? I actually, I think part of the reason is because I don't hear dump dumb. I hear bum bum. Bum bum, yeah. Yeah, I think I figured it out before that, but it took me way longer than I felt it should have. Way longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and it, it was one of those things because it definitely felt uh, sort of silly when I figured it out because it is such a silly thing that Law & Order has done, but it right. also felt so um, insidious insidious is that mm-hmm. the word yeah it's felt so insidious in the story right it's very malevolent yeah good tamper. <sighs> so will do you yeah. have any more follow-ups for my incredible story of giving birth it was incredible and i think that i have no further questions at this time i think i need time to quietly process what i've heard and either come to terms with it or uh, suppress it unconsciously. <laughs> the The one thing I will leave you with is that um, giving birth is totally normal in that mm-hmm. so many women have done it before. Right. But it is totally not normal and it's totally horrifying in the fact that it's something that women are expected to do that men are not expected to do in any capacity um there's no comparison and also it's incredibly painful and it's insane as it's happening it's just insane like what is happening you've created another creature inside of your body and now the only way to get it out is through a hole that's normally so small and it's like literally going to rip you in half like there's no avoiding it and if it doesn't rip you in half that's probably because they've cut you open to pull it out of you what but liz what about getting kicked in the nuts? <laughs> I know nothing about that. And I just feel like will. that can't hurt that we're much. We're even. <laughs> no, we're even. <laughs> and even though this was your episode, I feel like I need to have the final word. We're even. Because I could get kicked in the nuts. <laughs> well, maybe if you could get kicked in the nuts repeatedly for um, like 12 hours, then yeah, we'd be even. It could happen. Yeah, it could happen in hell. Okay, good talk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what are we going to be talking about next time on Smug Buds, bud? Well, not to peer behind the curtain too much, but I have thought about this and I don't want to say just in case we don't release these in the same order we record them in. I mean, this is definitely the first one. For sure, this is the first one, but... yes. The release schedule might mix things up a little bit. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. But just as a very vague preview of what might be to come, you can usually count on me to talk way more about media than my own personal experience. It's true. Movies, TV. And I will be talking a lot about things that uh, are are faux science that i feel Mm -hmm. like people need to know better about right and i will be talking about things that bother me for very specific reasons (laughs) (laughs) so liz will be trying to dispel misinformation and i will be just nerding out like the most basic straight white male you've ever encountered on uh, things that 
most everyone who looks like me also likes. But that said, I am certain at some point we're going to have an episode about my love of mid-aughts pop punk and my very mixed feelings about how it stands up in 2018. That sounds great. Yeah. I mean, as much as the point of this podcast was supposed to be that you indulge me in what I talk about and I indulge you in what you talk about, I think that we also need to be there for each other to uh, question and problematize. And you can definitely help me, you know, apologize uh, for liking the things that I like, which I think... (laughs) I, a lot of it I think I should be ashamed of, and we're going to explore that. <laughs> and we can talk about how I still listen to Brand New. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I still look forward to it. Okay. Thank you, Liz. Well, well, our little goslings, we'll see you next time on The Smug Bugs. Smug Bugs, bye. <laughs> Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one. And his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>